I became an author, I, I say the same way Michael Crichton did, in that the fact that I failed first at becoming a doctor. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. I have long told my students, as well as friends and family, that in order to be a good writer, you must first be a great reader. And this supposedly sage advice coming from a person who only dabbles in the field, but does have the requisite book collection. Depending on whose numbers you believe, there are between 500,000 and 1 million new books published annually. And if you count self-published books, that number swells to 4 million. That's a lot of books, more than any brick-and-mortar store could ever carry, and even enough to make a company like Amazon begin to suffocate under the weight. And yet, authors keep writing, hope springing eternal as they publish an endless stream of fiction and nonfiction, coffee table to nightstand, and everything in between. My guest today is Andrew Brandt, an Amarillo author who has burst onto the scene in the last few years and has turned an entire genre on its side with his thrillers. The speed with which he has released his books is enough to make even accomplished authors take note. Better yet, this is not his main gig, although I wouldn't be surprised if it one day is. Andrew, your website reports that you grew up in a library in Vernon, Texas. I know there might be just a little bit of hyperbole in there, but I get it. Small-town libraries may not have the selection of those in larger cities, but they must have had the right stuff to keep your young mind captivated. What kind of books did you read when you were young, and how did they influence you today? Yeah, well, first, you know, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate the time. To answer your question, uh, there is a little hyperbole, but I I really did. I grew up in a library. Uh, I was raised by a single dad pretty early in life, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and and for me, you know, going to the library after school was kind of my way of staying out of his hair. And as a serial obsessive, you know, I would go to the library and I'd find just books on anything I was interested in at the time. So we're talking about like the sinking of the Titanic or Bigfoot, you know, just anything that I was interested in at the time. The librarians there taught me how to use the card catalog. They taught me how to use interlibrary loan to find the books on the subjects I was interested in. Uh, it wasn't until I think about the fifth grade, I discovered Goosebumps books you know, by R.L. Stein, And I, I ran through those books like two or three a week. I mean, there were 60 of them. I probably read them two or three times a piece. And it's, it's no surprise that the kind of books I write now have that kind of flavor to them. I mean, that, that R.L. Stein thriller horror feeling from when I was a kid is, is, you know, buried real deep in that gray matter. When did you start writing your own words, though, and, and what style of writing was that? You know, it was it was pretty early on, you know, in the fifth, maybe sixth grade. Um, in the sixth grade, I, my English teacher, she saw me with one of those Goosebumps books, and she said, oh, well, if you like that, here, you'll love this, and handed me Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. Scared me to death, right? But uh, at that same time, like, the wheel started turning, you know, like, I have story ideas. I think I can do this. And so, you know, my first stories, you know, that I tried to write, you know, on just a few pages of notebook paper were, of course, you know, flavored like, you know, Stephen King or R.L. Stein, just wanting to write scary stories. 
But at what age did you start thinking of actually writing a book, a collection of many words, 50,000 words, 100,000 words, whatever? And for those who have never done it, it is no small undertaking. Friends and acquaintances are often quick to tell you, you should write a book. But they've only seen a sampling of your words, and they don't have any clue about the process. It's not like you just sit down and do it after breakfast. Right, yeah. No, uh, I, I always had just a ton of ideas, you know, say, you know, I think this would be a good story. Of course, my parents, my dad, you know, they would say, like, well, you should write that down. You should do that. But it wasn't until, I think, high school that uh, I seriously sat down to write a story. I, I wanted to write a story about a garage band. Um and maybe got, you know, 20, 25,000 words before realizing pretty quickly that I just was not cut out for it at that time. I wasn't mature enough as a human or as a storyteller uh, to be able to tell that kind of story. So it got shelved. I tried again in college, in my 20s, um, but it wasn't until I was in my 30s where I had a story idea. And I was telling my wife about this idea. And she said, you should write that book. And I said, I think I think I will. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. I, I sat down and a few months later, I had 50,000 words of a book. You self-published your first book in 2019. What was that process like? And, and what are the benefits and weaknesses of, of going this route? I, I have some comparisons in mind from people I know who self-published 20 years ago, but they didn't have Amazon back then to help them or any other online source. They had to work with a printer and buy a 1,000 copies and then hope they could get them out of the garage. What was it like for you? You know, the, the self-publishing industry now, um, so many of the, the gates that have been kept, so much of the red tape in place has been cut away by business, you know, by corporations that have found a way to say all these stories that are being written, we just provide a space for those to be published in. You know, we can we can make money on them. And so that's what's happened is is those those gates have been broken down and and anyone with a good idea can get it written down, can eventually publish themselves on you know, Amazon or, or what's called Kindle Direct Publishing or Barnes & Noble Press. Kobo does does their own thing. Um, there's a couple of aspects of that, though. Number one, if you go the self-publishing route, you have to understand that you're no longer just an author. You're a small business person. You're, you're running a small business. You're putting a product out there, and you have to make sure that, that product is the best it can be. Uh, in order for people to buy it. So everything from editing to cover art to proofreading to getting reviews to formatting, everything falls on your shoulders as the small business owner. Um, You also have to be really comfortable at sucking in public. You know, the first thing you write is not going to be any good, Uh, but you keep at it. And you, like anything else that requires repetitions, the more you do it, the better you get. Uh, I often say that had I been a little more patient, I, I would not have self-published those first few books. Um, it was it was an experiment for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I made money doing it. Um, but I, looking back, I don't think the stories are indicative of the kind of novelist or storyteller I am now. Um, people tell me all the time, you know, that, that they, they, they like the stories, but I don't think um, in hindsight that I would have done it that same way again, no. Well, somehow, since 2019 and now early in 2023, you've managed to release six more books and landed a deal with a local publisher. How did this all happen? Uh, It sure happened fast. It did happen fast. Um, Whenever I was self-publishing, you're not really 
beholden to anyone else's timelines. You know, you, you finish a book, you can get it edited and formatted, and, and you can put it out there. And, and so there's not any kind of real lead up or timeline uh, other than your own. You know, how fast can you write them? And I found that I could write a book in about four months, um, a, a first draft at least. And so I'd take that first draft and get it edited, and that would take another, you know, two months. So every six months, I could put out a book, you know. After I finish the first draft of one and it's being formatted and edited, I'll just re- run on to the next one. And so in I, I got into a schedule of my own of May and November. So May of 2019 or May of 2018, November 2019, May of 2019, May of 2020. Um, I was just kind of on my own cycle. And then the pandemic hit. And at the same time the pandemic hit, I put out a book called Paladuro which got the interest of a publishing company called Blue Handle Publishing, who signed me to a four-book deal, but now I'm on their timeline. And so, uh, yeah, I have, I have put out uh, six books, but uh, this most recent one, Picture Unavailable, that came out in October, was my first book in a year and a half. It took two years itself um, from the time I started the first draft in July of 2020 to finally getting it published in October of 2022. Your wife obviously unleashed a writing machine, so you, you got to give a lot of credit to her. Um, give us a quick synopsis of your literary CV, walking us through the titles and the genres. How did you settle on those? And I see a lot of young adult emphasis. Is uh, this a lingering effect of all those books you read when you were a kid or something you stumbled upon as an adult? Yeah, you know, I think the answer to that is is you know, those books I read as a kid are, are dug pretty deep, like I said, in the, in the gray matter of my brain and the, in the part that really sticks in there. Um, my first book was called The Treehouse. It's a um, mystery about three, stu- uh, three middle schoolers who witness a guy bury a body in the middle of the woods, you know, and so they uh, investigate this mystery themselves. And from there, I wrote a book called The Abduction of Sarah Phillips. Again, these were all self-published in 2018, 2019. And um, the abduction I, I felt like was the uh, like the sister novel of, of the treehouse. It was, it was different characters, different city, but it kind of dealt with those same themes of, of missing persons. Um, I wrote a book called In the Fog, which was my first foray into more adult literature. I wanted to write something more for adults aimed for adults. Um, and then Paladuro came out in May of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, and it was so crazy. Um, going into that book, uh, there was a lot of, I felt a lot of push behind that novel. We had a book tour set up. Uh, I had been in Lubbock where we released the pre-orders for the book. Uh, I had a huge response here locally, regionally. It was about, it was a missing person's mystery set in Paladero Canyon. So there's a lot of regional interest in this book. And the, uh, it got uh, you know, movie deal look you know a movie production studio looking at it wanting to to turn it into some kind of television series or a movie and then the pandemic happened and didn't get to tour the book it never really got i felt the attention that it deserved even though we had hundreds of pre-orders i didn't get to tour it we didn't really get to go regionally and, and show this book off and all that momentum behind just kind of fizzled for a little while um, during the pandemic, I, I put out another book called The Unwinding Cable Car and and then took some time off. Um, Mixtape for the End of the World came out in May of 21. And then a Picture Unavailable came out 18 months later here in October of 22. And your website mentions you've won awards in your very young career. What are they? 
Paladuro was the first to win an award, won a Reader's Favorite Award for Best Mystery. Uh, he was also nominated Young Adult Book of the Year from our Regional Booksellers Association. Uh, mixtape for the End of the World that came out in 21, uh, followed up with the same nomination, uh, and it won a Pencraft Award for Literary Excellence. I like I love mixtape a lot because it's not it's not a thriller. It's a at its core, it's a high school love story. And it's a high school love story set in the last three months of 1999, right before Y2K. And so it's about growing up and growing up with some insecurities kind of surrounding you. I couldn't think of anything better during a global pandemic than to go back to, you know, the the scariness of, of Y2K. And uh, yeah, that one won a Pencraft Award for Literary Excellence. It was also nominated Young Adult Book of the Year that year. And then Picture Unavailable came out this year in 22. And upon release, won a book fest award for best juvenile mystery. But as much fun as writing can be, it's kind of hard to make a living at it a hundred percent, unless your last name is, you know, King Grisham or Cornwall. <laughs> uh, what else do you do? What's your day job? You know, at this point, I am pretty lucky that my day job is is I get to write full time. Um, I do. I, I own a couple of small businesses around the, the area, but um, I'm not really involved in the day-to-day operations anymore. And uh, my wife and I welcomed a baby girl in July of 2020. And when that happened, I went to my business partner and told him, you know, I, I, I don't want to waste these years. Um, I would really like to be able to stay home with my daughter and, and kind of enjoy her growing up for a while. And so I stepped away from the day-to-day operations of the businesses um, I also do some web design stuff, some web marketing. Uh, your students would be interested in that kind of stuff. You know, anytime you, you search for something online and you see ads for that from then on out, that's what I do. Um, I help businesses create those ads um, that, using the, the cookies on websites and things like that. Um, but no, I am very fortunate that uh, life has, has, has found a way to give me, to give me this uh, fulfillment of a lifetime dream of being a writer. Well, having gone down this road a couple times before, I know that publishing royalties are not all that great. Um, yeah, you can get around it somehow. You can buy your own inventory, and you can keep the wholesaler's margin. But but then again, you trade that for the royalty, and then you run the risk of getting stuck with boxes of books. Um, I, I've noticed that you've been doing a lot of public appearances at bookstores and breweries to do book signings and sales. This takes a lot of time. Basically, I see you as running a home-based business uh, in hopes of selling books one way or the other to make it worthwhile. How has it all worked out for you? You know, I mean, there's, there's some real truth to that. Is, is as, a, as an author these days, you're running a small business. You know, you're, you're putting a product out there, and you're essentially, at the end of the day, getting people to buy what you're selling. Um, Luckily, in this in in this industry, you don't necessarily have to just keep you know a thousand books on hand in your garage anymore. You know, bookstores will will buy stock and they'll keep them on hand for for an event. Um, the most I do keeping books on on hand is for the book signing events or the appearances that are not at bookstores. So uh, in twenty one, bookstores were still pretty hesitant about opening up to events, and my publicist called me up. Uh, I had this book come out, a uh, mixtape for the end of the world in, in May of 21. And this was a year out of the pandemic, but bookstores were still pretty hesitant. And she called me up and she said, what about breweries? What about a brewery tour? And I said, I think that sounds fantastic. You know, uh, two of my favorite things are books and beer. Like, let's do this. And, uh, and so she 
lined up a, a, a regional tour and I got to see um, like our friends here at locally at Pondicetto opened up um, up north in Dumas at Top of Turtle, Lubbock. I got to go to Two Docks, you know, just a bunch of regional breweries and, and, and hang out and sell books there. Um, but to answer the question, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're selling your own product. You're marketing yourself to new potential fans and readers. And, and like any other business where you're in charge of selling something or having a product to sell, I mean, you've got to make sure that it's a good product and then it's, uh, it's a viable product. So your, your early books were released shortly before COVID. I'll never forget having you in my principles of marketing class in March, 2020, and my saying to the kids, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we shut down the campus and go 100% online. And we did. Um, and since that time, you've been a part of my COVID university memories. You were there right at when it all happened. And in the short time since, you've written all these new books. Do you think COVID had any effect on our book reading habits and did COVID have any effect on your writing? Yeah. You know, I, I remember that very distinctly. And, and to this day, I wish I had been more reverent of that time when I got to come talk to your class. I, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed coming back to my alma mater. I, I went to WT a lifetime ago and, and spent six years here, uh, pursuing a four year degree. And, uh, being back, you know, I talked to other classrooms, uh, elementary schools and high schools. And so it was just a progression of what I was doing at the time I was coming to talk to students and talk to classes. I, in hindsight, I wish that I had taken the time to really soak in what was going on at that moment um, and, and be more reverent at that time. Um, the pandemic itself, I mean, again, I, I say quite a bit that when the world shut down, we turned to artists. You know, there were musicians doing live streams on Facebook and Instagram. Um, authors were doing readings. Uh, I did my own readings um, online uh, when Palo Duro was coming out in May of that year. I, uh, I think being isolated allowed us the opportunity to, to stop for a bit and find the things that really interested us. As, as humans, the art that spoke to us. Uh, as for me, again, you know, it was, everything was shut down. I didn't have anything to do but read and write. And, and um, that book I was talking about earlier that I tried to write in high school, I got to kind of dust off and, and try it again and did. And it came out in 21 called Mixtape for the End of the World. It went, went on to win a Literary Excellence Award. So uh, the pandemic was um, an odd time that I was fortunate to use um, some advantage. Where do you see book sales going in the years ahead? Um, it seems like we live in short attention span theater and, and we spend countless hours staring at a screen, usually our phone, every day of the week. I mean, I, I just got my weekly screen time stats and it's, you know, every time I get it, it's, uh, it's like another guilt trip. It's like, holy cow, I spent 7.3 hours staring at this thing every day last week. That's insane. Is there any time left for books? Oh, yeah. You know, um, I think Douglas Adams said it best when he compared books to sharks. He said that sharks are 
very old. There were sharks in the ocean before there were dinosaurs on land. That's because the shark is the best thing at being a shark. Uh, the, the death of the physical book has been exaggerated time and time again you know, with these new technological advances. The, the Kindle e-reader was supposed to kill the book and kill the bookstore. And if you look at the sales now, our independent bookstores are stronger than ever. Uh, I think a pendulum shift happens anytime there's a, a technological shift in that people see this technology, but it's not making their life any better. Uh, you see vinyl record sales are up. Uh, CD sales are coming back. Bands are putting uh, music on cassette again. And there's a real human connection to art and to holding something physically in your hand. Uh, you know, we were teenagers and we were looking at, you know, cassette tape and then and then CDs and we thought, well, what's next? Like invisible music, you know, and that's what happened. You know, things went to streaming, but at the same time, that pendulum did shift and it came back and we said, well, that's cool. I mean, it's, 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 it's nice to have every song you ever want in your pocket at once, but man, I, I miss liner notes and, you know, and I miss uh, holding the physical product and I miss putting the record, you know, the, the, the pin on the, on the record and hearing it through the speakers there's a real tactile feeling to that. And, and the same thing happens with books. You know, yeah, we've got iPads and we've got Kindles, but going into a bookstore, looking around, feeling the heaviness of the paper in your hands, that's never going to go away. There's a great Japanese word that I bet describes many of us. Uh, sundoku is the stockpiling of books that remain unread. Guilty as charged, I tell you. Um, oh, same. It's basically a shelf full of good intentions. Uh, do you fear this happening more in general and worse yet with your books? Do I fear it happening? No. No, I think, like you said, it's a shelf full of good intentions. It's a shelf full of, of hopes and dreams of saying, I have enough time on this planet. I'm going to get all this done. Um, hopes and dreams are good things. Uh, I myself, I'm, I'm, super guilty of this, uh, not necessarily with books. I, I've returned to the public library and I, I've rediscovered kind of myself of, of stopping of stockpiling of necessarily of books, but finding the books I want to read and going to the library and supporting our public libraries. Um, but for me on my bookshelf are just tons of notebooks. I'm talking like the Moleskine, the Leuchtturm notebooks. Uh, I've probably got at any time a dozen that are unwrapped, ready to go, I'm, I'm going to get to those notebooks one of these days. I'm going to fill those notebooks. And I write my first drafts in, in Moleskine or Loistrom notebooks. And, um, and so I do use them, but I, I tend to buy more than I can use at once. After the break, we'll take a look at the process of writing and how Andrew is able to churn out so many words. Paying taxes is never fun, and for this reason, there's always a demand for more CPAs. Our MPA degree or Master's in Public Accounting prepares students to take the CPA exam and helps our clients navigate those tricky waters. Or you could use this as a stepping stone towards a PhD in a career in academia. Either way, our MPA will ensure that you are up to date on all of the generally accepted accounting principles and ready to toil in the world of taxation, debits, and credits. We're AA CSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with the WT MPA in hand. Waivers are available for the GMAT. For more information, find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or give us a call at 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach for those stars. 
Andrew, how often do you write? Do you have a preferred place or time of day? And do you have to isolate yourself or can you do it with others around? I am pretty fortunate that I'm able to treat this as a job. Um, I sit down every single morning and, and I give myself a goal of a thousand words. And I will, whether that takes 40 minutes or two and a half hours, I get those thousand words. And then when I'm done, I you know, punch the time clock and roll back down of a brontosaurus and call it a day. Um, but it's, I, I break it up that way because it's, it's a thousand words a day, five days a week times 16 weeks is, is 80,000 words. And that's a full novel. So in about four months, I can get a, a first draft written. Um, but like I said, it's, it's one of those things that if you don't treat it like a job, if you don't show up every day, if you only write when you feel quote unquote inspired, you're never going to finish. You have to be able to have the dedication to sit down and whether it's a thousand words a day or 500, you know, I think, uh, you know, 500 words a day over the course of eight months is still that same 80,000 words. You can get a book written a year. Um, but it's important to show up, I say, every single day and get that done. I once visited Hemingway's house in Key West, and, and I'll never forget a display they had with one of his old typewriters and a, and a placard that said he wrote 600 words every day before noon. I, I can only imagine, especially with my hunting and pecking and very unorthodox breaking all the rules, uh, typing style. That seems like a long time now, especially since we all have laptops and computers. I can't imagine how hard it must have been in manual mode. And yet, you just said you write a thousand words a day. Um, is there a rhythm to this process? Like, you get up, do you start the coffee, sit down and start writing? I mean, it's a discipline, right? You have to do it. But there must be some kind of a sequence or something, right, in, in, in your daily activities? I am nothing but a creature of habit. Uh, so, yes, it, it's, it's getting up. I think my, my wife's alarm goes off about 6.30. The coffee starts then, and she's off to work at 7.30. And, uh, and then I, yeah, I sit down at the desk, and I've calculated that uh, a page of handwritten words in a, in a Lustrum notebook is about 250 words. So I can get four pages written. Uh, that's my thousand words. And then, like I said, I'm after 40 minutes or two hours, I'm, I'm done. And I go on to other things, which includes marketing and writing newsletters and emailing, uh, you know, event coordinators and a publicist and everything like that. But yeah, there's a dedication of, of sitting down and saying, this is my goal and this is what I want to get done today. You mean it's kind of like training for a marathon? A little bit, you know, yeah. and I've done that too. It's kind of the same thing. You've got to show up. If you, if you only run when you feel like running, you're not going to run that marathon. But before any of this can begin, you got to have an idea and then a plot outline. Where do you get your inspirations? You know, I'm, there's a, uh, an idea farm right here off Rockwell Road. So you just go out there and you pop one out of the ground, you write that idea. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, uh, I get inspiration. I, I say from kind of everywhere, you know, my own childhood. Uh, I think it was Richard Linklater who, who said that we, we see the world through our own keyhole and it's shaped by our experiences. Now, I don't know anything about political intrigue. I'm, I'm not really around a lot of guns or violence, really. I don't know how to fly helicopters. Um, but I know what it's like to wake up being six years old and your mom is left in the middle of the night. I know what it's like to be a child of divorce. Uh, and so my life has been full of drama and to be able to take a story idea and, and fill it with those experiences. You know, they say, write what you know. And that's not necessarily, well, I, I know 
being a professor at a university. So my stories have to be about being a professor. If not, be about being a father, you know, and, and, the, and the dramas that are included in that. Um, my most recent book, Picture Unavailable, it was, it was again, during the pandemic. Uh, my wife was, goodness, seven, maybe eight, nine months pregnant, about to have a baby. And we would sit every, every single evening out on our patio on this sectional that we had built out of two by fours. It's really gorgeous. And we just sit up there and watch the neighborhood and read and just spend time together. And one night I'm reading a, an advanced copy. Uh, my friend Hank Ryan, she, has, she was putting out a new book that summer and, uh, and I'd gotten an advanced copy from her. And I'm reading this book and I see out the corner of my eye this flashing light just kind of pulsing. And, and, and it's this, this gas lamp, this wrought iron lamp in someone's front yard. And it's just, it's just pulsing. The light would flicker and dim and brighten and dim. And somehow this whole story came to me just from this, this one light, this wrought iron gas lamp that looked older than the rest of the neighborhood, right? It must have been there before the houses were even, were even built. So there's got to be some kind of history there. And the idea just populated in my head. And, and yeah, go from there to uh, writing a story about a missing kid. How do you keep your books different from one another. I've, I've read multiple books from some authors, but after a while, I feel like I can begin to finish their sentences for them because they become way too predictable as writers. They've been to that well too many times. How do you keep that from happening? You know, for me, I think there's a sense of familiarity with some authors. You know, you know what you're getting into whenever you open up uh King or one of the romance authors I like to read, uh, Abby Jimenez, that uh, it's like a warm bowl of mashed potatoes, right? It's just, it's comfortable. You recognize their voice as a storyteller. Um, but at the same time, yeah, how do you keep the stories different? Well, I mean, for me, I just, I write what I want to write, I guess. You know, it's, uh, I have my own distinctive voice, I know, but uh, I, I try not to write the same book twice. Um, that said, I do feel like, uh, you know, my first book was The Treehouse that I put out self-published. And and I make the joke that Picture Unavailable is The Treehouse written by somebody who knows what he's doing now. Do you ever need to take a break from writing? Um, do you ever feel the need to get recharged? Every four months. Every four months. Finish Great. a first draft. takes about four months, and I will, I will take some time off. Uh, my, my biggest fear is burnout. You know, I, I, I want to continue to enjoy this lifelong dream. Um, the last thing I want is for it to feel like a chore or a job. And uh, even though it is a job, um, but I still come to that, that blank page every day, you know, excited to get to work. Uh, it's still so much fun seeing your name on, on a book cover of a book that, that you poured thousands of hours into. As I follow you on social media, I get the impression your life is a blur, and somehow you manage to get it all done. Uh, you've mentioned a wife and child. Uh, how do you juggle so many demands, being husband, father, company owner, website designer, oh, and author? I try to, to mitigate those seven and a half hours on the phone every day, you know. Um, no, I, I, I have very specific things I, I want to get taken care of in a day, and uh, sometimes I feel like uh, my days are longer than others. You know, I, I get I get thirty hours somehow in a day. You know, and, you know I just uh, 
you, you find the time for the things that are important to you. You know, you, you, you find the time, whether it's, uh, if it's working out or going to school, learning a new job, learning a trade, you know, learning something new, you, you, you find the time for the things that, that you're interested in. And I'm, I'm very interested in being a husband and a father and a storyteller. Well, you, you've done exceedingly well on Amazon. You've won awards. Um, how well have you been received right here in Amarillo and Canyon? Yeah, that book, Paolo Duro, that came out in 2020, that book changed my life. I, I, feel, like, I feel like up until um, that book came out that I was doing well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had some events, but Paolo Duro came out, and all of a sudden this book is in – Barnes and Noble and the people at Barnes and Noble are telling me we can't keep this book in stock. We'll get 10 in and they're gone that weekend. Um, so to feel like the community is behind me is, 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 is fantastic. You know, uh, when picture unavailable came out a few months ago in October, we had our book release party here locally at, at Pondaceta brewing. And I wanted to do it back at Pondaceta. They've been incredibly supportive from whenever I was, self-published and independently published up till now and they are super gracious and they open up the brewery to us and we had a hundred people show up um it feels like that momentum that i felt like we had lost during the pandemic is back does your publisher help you with any of your marketing or is this just another hat you have to wear no i I am very fortunate uh a, a lot of marketing i do myself um but uh, the people at Blue Handle Publishing, my publicist, uh, Madison David, uh, the president of the company, Charles D'Amico, uh, my editorial director, Rick Trion, I have a whole team behind me. And, um, and we bounce ideas off each other. And I say, hey, I'm going to this event. Can we do something here? And, and they send emails. And um, they, are, they are incredibly helpful uh, on that front. Um, of course, you know, I run my own social media platforms, you know, I have the Facebook and the Instagram and, and now the TikTok. you know, you got to stay relevant, you got to stay out there. Um, but when it comes to events, when it comes to um, putting the, the product in front of people, you know, my, my publisher are, are incredible. I know we can find all your books on Amazon, but where can we buy them locally if we want to support, you know, Amarillo and Canyon businesses? And I would prefer you to support local businesses. I would prefer you to get it from Burrowing Owl um, here in Canyon or in Amarillo. Um, the public library in Amarillo has my books. Um, Barnes and Noble, even though they're you know one of those quote unquote evil big box stores are the most supportive company when it comes to, um, to, to their local authors. Whether you're independently published like um, my friend Derek Porterfield or you have a huge publishing deal um, like uh, like Taylor Moore, um, Barnes and Noble are they've always got the local authors up front in the center, you know, showing off um, what what our local talent looks like. So yes, please, uh, yes, you can get them on Amazon, you can get them on Walmart, Target, wherever. But uh, nothing makes me happier than when somebody buys buys from one of our local book so- booksellers. When we come back, we'll look into the future of books, Andrew's long term plans and his advice for budding writers, because you know you have a book inside you just waiting to break out. The economy always leading in the daily news. It's no secret that there is a shortage of professionals who understand what's going on in this world. 
Master of Science in Finance and Economics prepares the next generation of thought leaders who know how to prepare institutions and companies for the great unknown. Whether you seek employment in business, government, or as an instructor, the MSFE will ground you in all the theory and show you how to put it into practice. Demand meets supply at the corner of finance and economics. It's no mistake that our MSFE is consistently rated as one of the strongest in the nation. We're double ACSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT MSFE in hand. Waivers are offered for the GMAT. For more information, find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. Recent stats show that the average number of books each American reads per year is 12.6, but that the median is only four. That means that half the population reads more than four and the other half reads less than four. But to get an average of 12, you have to have some extremely serious readers to be able to skew those numbers so far. And in spite of COVID giving us far more unstructured time at home, that average of 12 is actually down from 15.6 in 2016. What do you think is driving this decline? It's uh, technology companies and app creators who have found the way to, to inject dopamine straight from that device into your brain. They've, they've found a way to create the most addictive uh, applications and technologies that has ever been known to man and sucks your time. Like you said, seven and a half hours a day is not uncommon. You know, it sounds like a lot, but for so many people, that's a daily occurrence. You know, you're scrolling through Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, you know, you're checking your emails, you're looking up whatever you're, you know, whatever's in your brain that you are interested in at that moment, you've got access to it immediately. To be able to slow down a little bit, um, whether it's fiction or self-help to be able to say, I'm going to take that time back. Uh, I'm not going to have this device control my day. I'm going to use it as a tool, um, but then be in control of my own time. Uh, that is, I think, the most important thing you can do uh, as a person right now. It's very clear that readers still prefer tangible books. Uh, one study I ran across reports that only 16% of readers prefer audiobooks, and I, I get that. Printed books are an experience in and of themselves. I, I love the smell of ink on paper. It's, it's almost intoxicating in its own little way. The feel of the pages, of turning them, and perhaps this is, this is me talking now, nothing better than reading until you get sleepy and you wake up with your book and glasses on the floor. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I would say that is the kind of reader I am for sure. You know, um, I think we saw a pendulum shift uh, in the early 2000s, middle 2007, when the Kindle came out and there was this huge shift of, oh, you know, the physical book is going to go away and uh, you know, we're all going to be reading on e-readers. And, and you do have instant access to any book you want, you know, that... That device and Amazon have opened up the floodgates to independent and self-published authors who can who can push publish and those and those books and those stories are available on that device immediately. 
sometimes for sale, sometimes for free. You know, uh, Colleen Hoover, who is huge right now. She, you know, she writes the, uh, wrote the book called Verity, and it ends with us. And she's she's probably the biggest author on TikTok. You know, and, and she was you know, self published on Amazon uh, a few years ago. The Fifty Shades of Grey series was self published. It was it was fan fiction, a Twilight fan fiction, but became this huge phenomenon. Um, but at the end of the day, as you said, that tactile feeling of, of holding a book in your hands, of turning the pages, something someone's in trouble and you can't turn the pages fast enough because you've got to know what happens next. It's a very real drive. And one thing that keeps me from uh, using an e-reader, in, in my case an iPad, is I'm afraid I'll be on the sofa with it and I'll wake up and the iPad will be on the floor broken. It happens. I also came across another study that the average U.S. book now sells less than 200 copies a year and only about 1,000 over its lifetime. What's it take to be considered a hit these days? And let's face it, if you're only selling 200 copies, the royalties might be enough to pay for an annual subscription to Netflix? Yeah, what does it take to be a hit? Well, it, it depends on what your definition of a hit is. You know, are you incredibly famous on Instagram? Do you have thousands of followers? Um, are you in bookstores that you always dreamed that you would be in? Uh, or is being a hit, you know, what's important? Is it is it that your story idea is finally out there in public? Uh, it's The democratization of media happened in, I think, the music industry first. When, when Napster became a thing um, and these, you know, the record sales dropped. But you see that ticket con- concert ticket sales are up. Um, you, you see authors who put out books, you know, some self-published authors and independent authors will put their book out, you know, the first one for free. But then, you know, they have a book signing somewhere and, you know, there's 50 people in line for this book, you know, to get their picture. Um, so, the, like I said, the democratization of, of media means that there's going to be something for everyone instead of, you know, four channels like there were when I was a kid. Um, I'm going to say we're, you know, about the same there, that uh, we had four channels growing up. Uh, you, you now have access, instant access to anything you want to watch, any genre, anything that ca- captures your interest. It's the same thing with books now. So you're going to have pockets of popularity in, in di- different genres. In spite of these sobering stats, you keep plowing ahead. I'll just say it bluntly, Andrew. What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I may mean that in jest a little bit because I asked myself the same question at 63, but my answer keeps changing. How about you? For me, if, if I can write a book and it's published and I get a, a royalty check in the mail and I take that check to the bank, and I can cash it, and it doesn't bounce, and I can pay my light bill, I consider myself a success. What words of advice do you have for anyone seeking to write that first book and and beyond? Uh, You've made amazing progress in just a handful of years, but I also know you spent many years paying your dues by being an avid reader first. How exactly does one get started in this, at least the the book writing and publishing aspect, and how do you keep from getting disappointed when faced with rejection? The first first part of that question, the first answer is 
you cannot be a writer without being a reader first. If you don't have to, time to read, you don't have time to write. Second is, whenever you sit down to write, finish what you start. Uh, I, I'm guilty of this, where I will get, you know, forty or 50,000 words into a book, and I'm, I'm just elbows deep into the second act, and it's, it's just a slog, right? You're, 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 kind, you're churning toward the third act. You, you're getting to the climax. Man, it's, 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 it's hard work. You know, to to see the forest for the trees there, and 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 sometimes you know this this other little idea will pop up, and you'll say that one's pretty interesting. I I think I like that. Well, let, let's 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 play around in that world for a while, and you get twenty, thirty, forty thousand words written there, and you find the same thing happening where you're back in that feeling of well, I'm not sure about this one. And all of a sudden, now you have two unfinished works. Right. So, my biggest piece of advice is finish what you start. And would you do this all over again, or is this just a story that's still being written? If I could, if I could go back in time, uh, there are a few things I would do differently. I don't think I would self-publish those first few books. I would hone my craft a little bit better before hitting that publish button. But I was, I was impatient. I had these stories, and I wanted to get them out there, and, and I wanted to share them with the world. I think there's a somewhat small hint of narcissism there that the saying you know the things that i have to say are worth saying you know that that matter to the world um but with that uh, to be able to go back and just to say let's polish those up just a little bit let's not suck in public our guest today has been andrew brandt local author extraordinaire entrepreneur and bundle of endless energy i wish i had some ears Andrew, give us your best shot. Reading is the most important thing you can do. Books quite literally saved my life. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our Director of Marketing and Outreach Initiatives, which includes overseeing BuffSpeak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is Director of Accreditation and is our Technical Consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is Dean of the College. You can find us online at wtamu.edu cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff Speak.